You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. reading from 1 Kings 18 verses 20 through 40. I'll give you a minute to turn there in your pew Bibles or on your Bible apps. 1 King is a little over halfway in between Genesis and Psalms. And when you're ready, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he was on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took three stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the Lord of the word came, the word of the Lord came, saying, "Israel shall be your name." And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water 
and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening. My name is Ben Milner. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're glad that you're with us this evening. Um, I mentioned last time that since the year 2000, uh, 40 million Americans have left the church, uh, have stopped worshiping, if you will. Um, but the worship uh, that they were giving to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, has not disappeared by any means because we are creatures that are made to worship and must worship. So the worship has not disappeared. It's simply morphed. It's shifted. Uh, it's changed direction. It's gone to a different object. Uh, one of the great reformers, Erasmus uh, of Rotterdam, said that our passion for Christ should be such that we have no time for other things. And our passion for sports or sleep or school or work or vacation is such that we have no time for Christ. Um, that's the culture we live in. And in Elijah's day, it was even worse. In, in Elijah's day, uh, the, the worship of Israel had almost entirely shifted from Yahweh, uh, the great I am, uh, to Baal, this little created uh, deity, the, the deity who brought forth rain, uh, crops, gave uh, children, the god of fertility. That's who Baal was. And uh, instead of joyfully sacrificing their very best to God, which is what they did uh, under the laws of the Torah, the Israelites were now sacrificing their bodies to Baal. They would, you would join in the copulation between Baal and Ashtoreth uh, as a worshiper with one of the prophetesses or prophets. And by doing that, um, kind of like I said last week, a brothel and a temple in one. By doing that, you supposedly, that was your form of worship, and you brought forth, then Baal could bring forth the rain and fertility. Um, so what Yahweh does to stop this uh, you know, horrific parody of worship is that uh, he ends the rain to show that Baal's not bringing rain, that your worship is not working, this is not happening. And then, after he stops the rain, uh, he comes to Ahab, the king of Israel, and he says, I challenge uh, Baal to a showdown. He throws down the gauntlet. Uh, it's like Elon Musk challenging Vladimir Putin to a cage match, if you remember that. Um, 
That's what Yahweh's doing. And the question is, who is going to bring life? Who is going to bring the fire? You know, who, who, who is the lightning? Who is the God of lightning? Uh, who is the God that can light you up? And I want to first uh, talk about the emptiness of Baal, his impotency. And then uh, the fire and the passion and the power of Yahweh in contrast. So picture the scene. Um, there are thousands of Israelites, maybe uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of Israelites that are gathered uh, on Mount Carmel, which um, is only about the same height as Pilate Mountain. But it's very long um, and it's very fertile. It's a beautiful mountain. It's uh, straddling the Mediterranean to the west. If you can picture that, to the west is the Mediterranean. And then to the east is this beautiful valley of Jezreel. So they're up there on that mountain. And uh, 23, verse 23 says, let two bulls be given to us, cut in pieces and laid on wood. And again, that is the highest calling of the Torah sacrifice, is a bull. That's the very best you could give. This is the best bull. This is what sacrifice meant to Israel. That's why they're doing this. And verse 24, Elijah says, you call on Baal, and I will call on Yahweh, and we will see who brings the fire. So you can imagine Elijah's by himself on one side, you know, on this side, facing the Mediterranean. You have Elijah by himself chopping wood, uh, slaughtering the bull, putting it together uh, on, a, on a pyre, kind of a pyre of wood that looks like a bonfire. And then on the other side, facing Jezreel, you have the uh, 450 prophets of Baal that are chopping wood and slaughtering their bull. And Elijah says, you go first. You know, he, he gestures courteously, uh, you first. So that it can be very clear that uh, it's a 450 to one advantage Mount Carmel is Baal's home court. Uh, Elijah's wood is waterlogged by 12 gigantic um, pillars, like massive, uh, these huge jars, these tubs of, of water, and they get to go first. So it's kind of like Yahweh has tied both hands behind his back to show his superiority. Or I thought about uh, the way Inigo Montoya handicaps himself you know, in, in the fight with the man in black, when he says, there's something I should tell you, I'm not left-handed. And then the man in black says, there's something I, I should tell you, I'm not left-handed either. So they, um, they handicap themselves to fight the other, and that's what Yahweh is doing with Baal. So the prophets come out in their elaborate costumes, headdresses, waving to their adoring fans, you know, doing their calisthenics and stretching, they're ready to go. They've got this down. And verse 26 says, they start calling on Baal morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us over and over and over. Uh, these elaborate pagan gestures uh, to call forth um, the God. And at 11 a.m., you can imagine they start probably getting a little bit anxious. Uh, they're looking nervously at uh, their leaders. And it's kind of like when your PowerPoint presentation is not working and uh, you start sweating uh, they're limping around the altar in verse 26, which is kind of a word that's uh, like this frenzied, herky-jerky motion. It's, the, it literally means lame. So it's like a very lame, like a 52-year-old man dancing wildly at a you know, wedding reception. That's the picture you get of these prophets of Baal. And the longer they dance, the more nervous they get because nothing's happening. And so they cry louder and they scream. But verse 26 says there was no voice and no one answered. 
Uh, and that's all that Baal or any idol will give you. Uh, that's all they can give you. And the harder you work at it, uh, the more empty uh, the, 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 the idol is. The, the harder you work, uh, the more you rave, uh, the more the emptiness of the idol is entirely exposed. And so in verse 26, it said there was no voice and no one answered. In verse 29, it says there was no sound, there was no response, there was no reply at all. Nothing. I saw a YouTube video of Matt Damon when he won Best Screenplay at the age of 27 in 2008, the youngest ever. And uh, I heard uh, an interview with him where the, the guy interviewing him said, um, so did you go absolutely nuts? Did you like go crazy when you got that? And Matt Damon said, actually, the second I sat down with my statue, nothing happened. And he said, imagine that happening to you in your 70s or your 80s. You've spent your whole life trying to get one of these Oscars, and you realize what an unbelievable waste of time. And after you have worked so hard for your perfect body, uh, nobody notices, because they're all looking at themselves in mirrors. And you work you know, 20 years to create this perfect family, and the nest is empty, and they never come home again. No, they do, they come home. And uh, you, you kill yourself to build up this giant retirement, and then you die. And there are no, no U-Hauls behind hearses. And so nothing happens. Uh, the idol gives you nothing. You work all this time for whatever idol that is. And remember, the Baal is the cult of fertility. So they're worshiping sex and children and families and wealth, grain, rain. That's what they're worshiping. And if you worship those things, nothing happens. They're empty. And look what happens when nothing happens. They just step up the intensity because they have to, because that's what they're living for, because it's become a god to them. It says in verse 28, they cried aloud and cut themselves to the point of blood. So self-harm will always be a part of tracking down an idol, you know, to the very end. Always lead to self-harm. Because they keep demanding more and more and more and giving you less and less and less. The law of diminishing returns. They always do that. So it's, you know, you have to get harder drugs or finer wine or more decadent food or more exotic sexual experiences. Idols will always twist us into their own images. If we worship an idol, it makes us like the idol. So whatever it is you're worshiping, that you will become like. And the idol, of course, is a created thing. It's always a created thing. And so uh, it cannot handle the ferocity of the desire that God put in us only for himself. Uh, an idol will burn out because our passions are God-sized passions, and idols are not God. When I went to London, I took my 120-volt um, U.S. air dryer and by accident plugged it in straight into a 230-volt British outlet, and it was working really well for like 10 seconds. And then it got black, and there was a smell of burning uh, metal, and I realized that uh, there was too much power in the outlet for that little hair dryer to contain. And the same thing is true of idols. There is so much energy and passion in us that if you make any human being, uh, even you know, a spouse or a best friend, if you make or a child, any human being, if you put that as your idol, it will burn them out and burn you out. Like an alcoholic dying of liver poisoning. That's what an idol does. 
or an addict under a bridge scarred by needles. Or think about Michael Jackson who had so many surgeries, so sad just to watch his face become more and more disfigured as he chased that idol of his appearance. They always cause us to rave about things that are pathetically beneath us. Way they're not worth raving about. But look at verse 29, they raved on till evening. And this leads Elijah to the mockery that uh, Valerie expressed so well. Um, and mockery, by the way, is a, is a great Christian virtue. Um, and the Onion, if you've read The Onion or The Babylon Bee, or when my, my, in my day it was The Wittenberg Door. But irony, uh, Erasmus used irony and sarcasm all the time. Um, and at times it's very important to do that because an idol deserves to be mocked. You don't mock people, but you mock idols. And so Elijah says, cry louder for Baal is a god. Either he is musing or is he relieving himself or he's on a journey or maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. We all want to give ourselves to something, to cry out or leap around or shout for joy like these prophets of Baal doing. But idols always cripple us. They prevent us from flying, from our spirits soaring. They hobble our spirits, which is why Elijah says from the very beginning to Israel, he says, how long will you go limping around between two different opinions? You're trying to have both. You're trying to have God and the world. You're trying to serve both money and God. And Jesus says you cannot serve both. You can't serve two masters. It's like a bird with a, a broken wing that you can't, you can't fly. You, uh, how long will you go limping about between two opinions? When are you going to give up the idol and concentrate all of that passion on God? That's the emptiness of Baal and now the fire of Yahweh. Um, after exposing and humiliating Baal, Elijah calls this huddle where he says to Israel, come near me, and he gathers them around, you know, this giant circle of people. And he basically says to them, remember when uh, we used to be on fire for Yahweh? Do you remember when he was our greatest passion? Do you remember when we would sacrifice anything to him, when we would give our very best to him? And so in verse 30, it says they repaired the altar of the Lord. So right at the center of the sacrifice that Elijah's offering is this stone altar, like the kind where they would sacrifice bulls to Yahweh. They repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down, one stone for each tribe, so 12 stones, and Elijah said, Israel shall be your name again. They had lost their identity. They had lost their name. They had become like their idols, and they had forgotten who they were. It's like when uh, Rafiki says to Simba in The Lion King, the little um, the monkey that's like the prophet says to Simba the lion, the young Lion King, and Rafiki says, who are you? You know, what have you become? This is after Simba has fled from his true identity as, you know, the, the royalty of the royal line um, of Mufasa, and he has gone to Margaritaville, essentially. You know, don't worry, be happy, Hakuna Matata. And when Rafiki says to Simba, who are you? Simba says, I am nobody. I am nothing. And then Rafiki brings him to a pool, and he looks down in the pool. And Rafiki says to Simba, do you see him? Do you see your father? He is in you. And soon the, the picture of Mufasa uh, shows up in the pool, and Simba remembers who he is. And that's what's happening to Israel here when she realizes that she is made to worship Yahweh, 
which means the uncreated one, the I am, the one uh, who cannot be named, uh, the one that is above all creation, that if we worship anything that's below us, uh, it destroys our identity. But if we worship the only one that is above us, um, it will give us our name back. So Yahweh is saying, let me show you uh, what can be in you again, the inferno of, of divine passion that you were made for. And verse 37, he says, let it be known this day. Elijah says, let it be known this day what God is really like, what the true God is really like. And at that very moment, fire falls from heaven like a burning like twister out of the sky. I saw, I looked for a bunch of images of this and my favorite was like a tornado forming like in Oklahoma, but it's like a tornado of fire that formed. And the, the way that the fire, the way I imagine this fire coming out is like the fire from smog in The Hobbit, this great fire dragon, just as he, as he breathes on Lake Town, it just spreads out everywhere. That's the, that's the way I'm, this is not simple fire. This is like something hotter than fire, like lava. Because it, in verse 38, it says it consumed the bull and the wood and the stones and the dust and the water itself was licked up by this stuff that was coming down from heaven. And the smell of smoke is everywhere. And the sound of water hissing is everywhere. And we saw lava um, when we were in Hawaii actually plummeting down into the Pacific Ocean. And this, the sound, uh, the sight of it was amazing. And, and that's what's going on here. And when it happens, it says in verse 39, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God the Lord he is God. And at that very moment, they finally remembered again who they were when they were worshiping God. Don't look inside yourself to find out who you are. Uh, don't ask another person who you are. Ask only God. And when you worship God, that's who you really are. When that praise, that red-hot praise is erupting through us, when we're singing, um, and not, not like the half-hearted singing that so many of us do in church. I mean, um, Think about the way you sing in a car, when you're like slamming the dashboard, or in a shower maybe, if you sing in a shower, that kind of passion. That's the passion that we should bring to our singing of Yahweh. You know, singing, I mean, let's practice on the last song, you know, where we sing to Yahweh like we're in the shower, like we're in a car. Now you might say that's too embarrassing, I don't have a great voice, I would never do anything like that. And I would say, well, when your team wins, then you'll do that. You know, when, you're, when there's a touchdown, you're going to be exuberant, you're going to be hopping around, uh, limping around, or you've got, you got the job, or he likes me, or it's a girl. You know, we, there are times where we do uh, just break wide open and erupt into embarrassing praise. And that's the way we should be with God. And it's dangerous to erupt into that kind of praise uh, with anything but God. If we give all of ourselves to anything but the one who gave himself completely for us, it's a dangerous thing. It is not safe. And there's only one person that has ever given themselves entirely for you. And it's not even your spouse if you're married. It's not your parents if you have parents. And I guess we all do. Uh, the fire of the passion of God did not just destroy uh, the rocks and the wood and the dust and the water. It actually destroyed uh, the false prophets as well. And somebody texted me about this today. It was very disturbing to them, and it is disturbing. Um, it's disturbing that while the, the prophets were feasting 
during a famine, everybody else was starving. And it's disturbing that while they were, uh, these prophets were seducing God's people into worshiping Baal, um, they were at the king's table. And it's appalling that they were hunting down and systematically eradicating, you know, like a genocide, the, the people of God. Anyone who worshiped God, any prophet, they were, they were seeking to kill, these, these prophets of Baal. So uh, it, is, it is appalling. It's appalling what they did. Uh, it's just. It shows you how awful and horrific idolatry is. It's just when God uh, asks Elijah to bring them down to the brook of Kishon and, and they, then Israel slaughters them there. That's justice. Now, justice is frightening when we see it. When real justice erupts like fire from heaven, it's frightening. But that's how bad idolatry is. And when the disciples saw false prophets in their day, the disciples of Jesus, they wanted to imitate Elijah. And they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? That's in Luke 9, 51. And Jesus rebukes them and he says, no, we're not doing that anymore. That's not the way anymore. Um, and then he says, just a few verses later, this is amazing, he says, I came to cast fire on this earth, yes, but how distressed I am as I wait for it to be kindled. Because he was talking about the fire that would come down on him. And that's why we don't do this anymore. It's not because there's no justice. It's because justice came down on Jesus. He was the real bull. That bull was just a picture of him. And we see that fire and judgment and wrath do not change these people's hearts. Israel goes right back to worshiping Baal, and so does Ahab. And next week we'll see that Elijah gets really depressed about that. But the only way your heart's going to get changed is not the fear of God's wrath. It's, it's only when you see the fire that should come down on you coming down on God, on Yahweh. Yahweh is the only one that could come in and substitute himself for your sin and be burned by the fire that should come on you. Right before Jesus goes to the cross, he looks out over Jerusalem, the people that are about to kill him, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you under my wings, uh, but you would have nothing to do with me. And what he's saying there is, I, I long to be like a mother hen uh, that protected you under my wings. And, and there are stories of finding mother hens uh, in barnyards when a fire has come through. And they'll, it's like a, a charred remains of the mother hen and the wings. And when they, when they pick up uh, the, um, the corpse, there are all these living chicks underneath because she's protected them from the fire. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying that uh, the fire uh, is going to come down on me. And I am the one that's going to be burned up uh, by idolatry. And that's what we celebrate in this meal, the way that Jesus uh, substituted himself for us at the table. So on the night that he was betrayed, uh, the night that the fire was about to fall on him, and he was filled with distress, and he asked the father uh, for the cup to pass from him. And he, um, he wept great tears of, um, of blood. Blood came from his forehead because he was so distressed, so much anxiety and tension. And he said, uh, this is my blood uh, that's being shed for you. This is before he did it. He told them, he telegraphed it, 
He told him what's gonna, what was going to happen. This, he was going to give, he was going to shed his blood, and he was going to break his body for them. My body broken for you, my blood shed for you. And he said, uh, whenever you celebrate this table, you're once again remembering who you really are and who I really am and how much I love you and how I protect you uh, from fire coming down upon you. And I took that fire. And so this is a meal for anyone that wants that. I mean, there's, obviously there's nothing you have to do because he did all the hard work. All you have to do is just accept it and just put your hands out and accept it, which is actually the hardest thing in the world to do, to say, I bring nothing to the table at all. And I simply receive the love of God and the grace of God. And he's done everything for me. And so we come up here with our hands out like this to say we have nothing in our hands that we bring. Um, nothing at all. And um, so if you're not uh, at the place where you can put your hands out and, and ask God to save you, uh, we're glad you're here. As Austin said, we welcome you. God loves you. He wants you here. So glad you're here. Um, don't feel any pressure to partake. Nobody's going to be watching you. It would not be a good thing to partake of this meal. It would be just hypocrisy. We don't want to force you into doing that. Um, but if you're someone who is really struggling uh, with sin, with idolatry, with all the things I've been talking about, um, do not let that keep you from the table. That's, you're the one who needs it. Because, again, we come up here with nothing. So just bring uh, open hands. We'll put the bread in your hand. You take that bread and dip it in the cup um, and then partake. So let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I pray that... We would just have a visual in our mind. I pray they would just give us a visual of, of you being the one uh, that was consumed by that fire. And although we could, nobody could see it, we know that actually from heaven a, a tornado of, uh, of fire did come down and incinerated you on the cross. You were absolutely destroyed. Um, you, uh, you, were, you said you thirsted. Um, you said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And we know, God, you bore all that for us, to protect us, to shield us. And that will never happen to us if we believe in you. So um, we pray that you would give us, help us to sing um, with passion to you. Um, help us to have that fire in our belly uh, to worship you. And let this meal um, have that effect on us. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Remember, we love these rascals.